Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with my co-host. Amy Wees. And we are super excited and privileged to have Chris Anderson on us, with us, on us, with us and on us today. <laughs> Actually, that's the Whoa. best. That's the best <laughs> intro I've ever recorded, and it's so apropos for Chris. I'm actually not going to edit out or <laughs> that exactly the way it is. Chris, thank you so much for, for being on today. Oh, uh, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So, Chris, uh, if you could uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of maybe uh, you know where you grew up, uh, what you did while you grew up, uh, any uh, school, college, uh, family, you know, anything you want to get into. Uh, <laughs> You know, give, give us give us the skeletons in the closet. Oh man, I I, I don't think you guys have enough time for that. I, we <laughs> could be here all day. But uh, I, I'm born in New Jersey. I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It was a really interesting place to grow up because I grew up with like a lot of like. I went to high school with a girl whose dad invented Splenda. Like it was weird stuff like that, and lawyers <laughs> and doctors and stuff like that. Um, and I when I was in. Um, when I was in high school, I saw the show BattleBots. I really, really wanted to build a BattleBot. And I actually got the equipment and the machinery to do that and actually successfully competed in not the BattleBot. Like people are like, oh, we're on the TV show. No, there's smaller regional robot competitions. I was in a lot of those. Uh, and I got into making jewelry at that point because I had all this equipment and I didn't know what to do with it. And uh, I started making jewelry and somehow... I was in college at this time for mechanical engineering. Uh, I dropped out of college to be a jeweler. I was a jeweler for a while. Um, I had some, I kind of was in between jobs and everything. And New Jersey, if you are familiar with it, is extremely expensive to live there. So I had the opportunity to move out to central Pennsylvania, where it's actually pretty cheap to live in central Pennsylvania. Uh, I moved out here, kind of went job to job for a little bit. And then uh, I did a Kickstarter. Um, maybe that's foreshadowing. I'm an expert storyteller. I did a Kickstarter for a jewelry product on Amazon or on Kickstarter. And after I fulfilled it, I had some money. I had about 3,500 bucks left and I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't know, I, I was trying to kind of figure out how do I invest 3,500 bucks to make money from it. And I discovered online selling, uh, experiment.com. That's Ryan Grant's website. And then I discovered uh, Retail Arbitrage, Chris Green's book. It was about five years ago. And I was like, oh, people go to Target and buy stuff on clearance and send it to Amazon and it, you make money from that. And I, I went all in. I spent, my, I spent like $3,000 in a weekend, my first weekend out. Uh, that was in August. And um, since then, I haven't looked back. I did a lot of RA and OA. Uh, for a long time. And now um, I got real lucky. I have a really awesome warehouse deal where I have a gigantic warehouse that um, I, I have over 200,000 square feet to kind of spread out and sprawl and uh, have been doing a lot with that Been doing fulfillment for other sellers, FBM fulfillment, uh, you know, shipping and receiving, and then doing fulfillment like for Groupon, um, Groupon, Walmart, um, pretty much anywhere that people just need fulfillment.coms, that kind of stuff. And that's what I've been doing. Awesome. That was a fantastic intro to 
who Chris is. And Chris, I don't know if you know this, but I think you have multiple cameras. We're, we're getting a dashing side view of you, which those oh. on the podcast won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, so- I, at first, I didn't correct you because I was like, maybe he's doing this. For, knowing you, Chris, I thought you were just trying to be dramatic. So, Well, uh, so what, what it is, I have to send you a picture of my setup. I have my laptop. I'm actually using my laptop webcam because I don't know where my webcam went off to. Uh, so I'm using my laptop webcam, but then I have a 32-inch curved monitor I'm looking at. It does yeah, kind of yeah. add drama. I, I have a, yeah. This is my good side. Right, right, right. No, it, like I said, it, it's, I, I thought it was all part of the plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you talked a little bit about you know, how, get, how you were getting into um, you know, Amazon and stuff. Like how, how, like go a little bit deeper into like how you heard about it and uh, why you decided to give it a try. Were you, were you doing any other work uh, during that time or, or you know, was it something that you, you started pretty early on, like high school or? Well, well no, I, I'm kind of old. I'm 32, um, not that old. But uh, so when I got into Amazon, I was about 27, okay? But I had been doing e-commerce. I, I guess I kind of skipped over. I've been doing e-commerce since I was like 16. Um, you know, I grew up, my parents didn't have a lot of money. Uh, if I wanted, you know, a misfit shirt and a studded belt and to go and see the mindless self-indulgence concert, I had to pay for that. Or if I wanted a car, I had to pay for that. So I always had a job. I mean, like literally, I remember on my 15th birthday, my mom drove me to the school so that I, she could get me working papers so that I was working. Okay. And I'd been, I'd been mowing lawn, shoveling snow. I was making like 500 bucks a week when I was 15 shoveling snow and mowing lawns. It was crazy. Um, cause I was just good at it. Like I, I was really good. Like I just scheduled things. It just was like, okay, I'll just mow lawns on all weekend and make good money from it. And, um, but I was doing e-commerce when I got into doing the battle bots. What I found was that I could buy heavy equipment like lathes and milling machines for scrap. So you'd buy them by the weight. Okay. So like if something weighed 200 pounds and it was 70 cents a pound, pay a hundred, uh, 150 bucks for it. And you could break down a lot of that old equipment and sell it piece by piece and buy the gear and sometimes buy the bolts. And I was doing that pretty extensively with eBay. And then I had, I had a real, I, you know, people I think don't talk about failures enough. I had an early failure of an Amazon, of an online business called offseasonpeeps.com where a buddy of mine came up with a really good idea. We would go to the store right after a holiday. So like right after Thanksgiving or uh, Halloween, and we'd buy all the peeps that they had left because they're like 90% off. And then we'd sell them on our website, offseasonpeeps.com. Uh, it was a great idea, except at the time there was like MySpace. This was like 2006. Like there was no Facebook. I mean, technically there was, but there really wasn't. There was no Instagram. There was, you know, the any way to market that we would now use. It's so funny to think that Instagram at one point didn't exist. We were in a, a period before that, you know what I mean? And so it didn't, we never really sold any because we didn't know how to build a target market. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And we're going to go more into that a, lo- a little bit later. Cause I think that's uh, um, something that's a lot of people uh, don't know. And Amy and I were actually talking about this earlier today, how like, you know, I wish we would have known that like, you know, building an audience is probably the most, um, you know, the, the biggest thing that you can do for your business, uh, yeah. you know, for any business is to build an audience because once you have an audience, then uh, they know and trust you. And then, you know, it, then, then you really don't have to sell. You're just, 
you're just presenting people with what you have and, and they know and trust you and, and, you know, trust your brand or whatever. Um, and so then, then, you know, it's more of a relationship rather than a transaction, which I think, you know, that's, that's what people want to do. People really, I think undervalue that. And that's how you have, you know, so many like cheesy internet marketers that are just like spending, like people don't even realize that when you're dealing with like marketers that they're selling like a, a Kevin David or something, and they're spending, you know, or selling a course for a thousand dollars, they're maybe spending $800 of that on selling one course, whether that's through affiliate commission, there's affiliate programs that like I get pitched affiliate programs all the time. I've been pitched affiliate programs with a 90% payout. And I'm like, Whoa, this is, there's something wrong here. Yeah, that's, that's insane. And, and I think what they're trying to do once again is build an audience, but they're, I think they're doing it in the wrong way. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're using the crowbar method rather than, you know, uh, it, more, more of the Gary V, you know, uh, jab, 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 right hook, you know, the, more of that kind of theory where you just, you just give value and everything else will come along with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So one, one thing that, uh, you know, you mentioned failures. Uh, I, I'm actually thinking about like, uh, redoing my, my presentation I did at the conference we were at because you, you remember like my first, like third of the entire talk was, uh, you know, all the failures I had <laughs> throughout the many years. But I think that's, uh, you know, that, that's something that, like you said, doesn't get mentioned enough. Um, you know, when people are starting out, we see this all the time where people will go and source like, you know, a certain amount of products and it fails and then they give up. I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm liquidating my products. I'm out. Amazon sucks, you know? <laughs> and part of the reason is though is because of, you know, some of those gurus out there who are, you know, taunting how easy it is. Well, I think a lot of people, so uh, if anybody knows podcasts, you know the podcast, My Favorite Murder at all? I've heard of it. I've not it's listened like, to it. It's the number one comedy podcast on iTunes right now. If it's not number one, it's number two. And it sounds like such an overnight success. You know, these two women, uh, Georgia Hardstark and uh, I forget the other one's name, but it's like, oh, they just met at a party and decided to make a podcast and now they're successful. But what they kind of, and they obviously they do talk about, but what people don't know is uh, the one lady's husband, Vince, was already a successful podcaster, so he knew how to do it. Um, Georgia is the head writer or was the head writer for the Ellen show. Okay, she was also one of the head writers of the Drew Carey show. Uh, the other lady is um, Karen Kilgariff, was a comedian. So you have two women that are comedians and talented writers with the ability to make a podcast come together that's not necessarily an overnight success, not to diminish what they did, but it's not like two 17-year-old kids sitting in a bedroom doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, and a lot of people see what they think is overnight success on, on a lot of people that, you know, what they don't realize is they've been around for years. Like once again, the, the Gary V example, that dude's been around forever, but he hasn't gotten mainstream, you know, for the last maybe two or three years, yeah. I would say. Um, and what people that people don't see the years of, of blood, sweat, and tears that go into it. It's the same thing with, you know, Amazon businesses and stuff. A lot of people see these eight figure sellers, seven figure sellers, and think it was like, oh, it was overnight. You know, they, they just, you know, got in there and started making money. But, you know, it's just like any other business where, you know, you got to put in your time and, and, and uh, you know, put in, put in the effort to, to get those returns. 
on that same note, Chris, when you were, uh, when you started out with the Amazon business, uh, we were kind of talking about gurus and courses and things like that. Did you take any courses or did you do your learning all like on YouTube and like blog posts and Google? Like where, where did you get your information and, and or was it trial by fire? <laughs> well, I, you know, Ryan Grant's, you know, I, I, I did Ryan Grant's uh, website was excellent. Online selling experiment.com. He has a lot of excellent free content. Um, and then Chris Green's book was excellent and explained the process. I watched a lot of YouTube videos and then um, got into some Facebook forums. And that was pretty good. At the time, it was uh, FBA Master, which is almost not even a Facebook group anymore. It's kind of gone wayside. Uh, and then when Scott Volker came out with his first pod, where, with his podcast, I was actually in on that from the first couple episodes. Uh, I've listened to a lot of them. And... Um, you know, so, so that was where I got the info, the nuts and bolts stuff, like sending in shipments, you know, just Amazon seller university. I didn't really do any courses or anything. I figured, you know, I, even at the time, I don't even know if there was a lot of courses out in it. I think online selling or a uh, selling family was out at the time. And that was pretty much it. Um, after a couple months, I started to get into grocery and I got to give a shout out to Sean Mayo. Um, I gave him a call. Like I was still working at my job. When I got into Amazon, I had a full-time job. I was working for a company that some people may have heard of. You've, you've interacted with, they're called Assurian. And Assurian is the second largest warranty provider in the world. They also are the company that invented StatTrack. Uh, StatTrack, which is how like all baseball and sporting track um, uh, statistics are calculated. So I was working for them doing um, kind of in one of their local offices. So um called him on a lunch break and talked to him for like half an hour while I was eating. It was pretty good. So people were pretty generous with me with my time, with their time. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think like, uh, I remember early on, you know, in my twenties when I was doing a lot of my SaaS businesses and things like that, um, I was always like afraid to reach out to, to people. You know, you, you always think that like, Oh, that person's so big. They'll never give you the time of day. It was kind of like, you know, <laughs> with, with Neil Patel, when I met him at, um, at his thing in LA, uh, you know, it was, it was, I, I thought for sure he'd be like, Hey, I really appreciate it. But you know, like I'm a, I'm a busy guy, you know, but he was like, no, I'll be on the podcast. And unfortunately he had some personal stuff today where he couldn't make it. But uh, yeah. it was one of those things is you, you're not going to get what you don't ask for, you know, whether, whether no matter what it is. Yeah. I mean, especially if you make it convenient, I've actually been up to Chris Green's house. Uh, I went and fed all, uh, I think he has, no, he has llamas at his house. So I've like gone with him and his kids and fed his llamas. It was a weird afternoon. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, as especially if you make it easy, like so too many people, they message me and they're like, Hey, can I give you a call at eight o'clock in the morning? I'm like, no, I'm not up, man. Right. Uh, I mean, if you make it easy or like, Hey, can I buy a beer? Absolutely. I will let you buy me a beer. Yeah, that's funny. I, I am the same exact way. I want to help as many people as possible, but when they on Facebook, you know, if they lead with their messenger with a wave or like, Hey, or what's up, then I get really frustrated. You know, I tell people, reach out to me. I don't mind at all. Um, you know, I, I usually get back to people fairly quickly, but lead with the question. Say, hey, my name's Chris. I'm really having trouble getting my listing optimized. You know, like, what do I do next? You know, lead or, outline it, outline it. If you can just rapid fire, ask me questions. Like, I have five questions. One, two, three, four, five. Absolutely. I will, I will reply back. Or sometimes I'll just even message people be like, I don't feel like reading this. Here's my phone number. Call me. I'm driving. Yeah. You know, the number of times I do that. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. The, that, that's a great point though. Like building as much convenience as possible uh, whenever you're reaching out to somebody. And also, you know, uh, 
uh, I can't remember who, who said this. I'm sure lots of people have, but you know, a lot of people are like, you know, and, and um, you know, instead of going straight for the kill, which is another thing that bothers me, like when somebody joins my group and the first post that they do is like, Hey, come buy this or this is my service or whatever that irritates me. If you're in my group for two weeks first and give a bunch of value and, you know, help, help answer questions and things like that. And then two weeks later, you post in my group about, you know, your service or that or whatever, I'm much more likely to leave it there than, you know, if that's the first thing that you do. So yeah, yeah try to lead with value if you, if you can. And, uh, and you'd be surprised how many, how many, how much help people are willing to give you. A lot of those oh, yeah. people who have quote unquote, you know, made it are very willing to, and, and a lot of them want to just give back because they feel so uh, blessed with where they are now. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, Chris, I know that you, you're, you're doing, um, you know, you still do a lot of RA, but you're also getting into the private label stuff. You're doing the Kickstarter stuff. So, um, can you walk me through kind of like, where do you get your, uh, your ideas for products? Uh, Amy and I are doing kind of this mini course right now where we, we, we tell people to go down the rabbit hole, which is just, you know, just start browsing. Do you have a, a specific process, um, or, or kind of any way that you are, are you data driven? I mean, how, how do you, Pick, pick the products that you're going to bring I don't, online. I don't believe in product. I don't believe in product research, um, <laughs> which, um, so Brandon trainer, if you guys don't know him, he's a cool guy. He's one of my business partners and he cringes so hard sometimes when I launch a PL product, because I won't do like, I don't have helium 10. I don't have jungle scout. I don't do anything. I look at him like, are people buying it and leaving reviews? Yep. I'm doing that. But for the most part, what I want to buy or what I want to sell is what I want to buy. I am my target customer. So keeping that in mind, like I, you know, we're going to talk about Kickstarter here and I'm going to be launching a card game. And I had an idea for a card game. I found out my card game idea was already taken. Okay. Somebody's already done it, but they did a bad job. So I'm going to fix it and do a good job because uh, I want to make a card game that you can play while drunk. And the game that they have come up with is the most complicated way that you could play this game. It's un, it's so complicated to not be fun. So I literally wrote the instructions for this thinking, can you play this while drunk? Then game tested it while drunk. And yes, you can play it while drunk. Very easy to do. So that's, you know, I want, I like to have my friends over my house and play dumb card games, cards against humanity, exploding kittens, all those dumb card games. If I want to play Dungeons and Dragons, I'm going to do that, but it's going to be different. So I wanted to make a party game that was made for what I want to do. And that's how, I mean, that's as simple as the research has to be. You know, you, if you have a hobby, I believe that everybody has a product in them. You know, if you, everybody has a hobby, you know, I have my cat, Amy, I know that you have a cat related PL product. I have my cat here. I love my cat. What's a product that I can make my cat's life better. You know what I mean? Or, something like that. And it it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point, Chris. And and I'm always driving that point home too. You know, I always tell people, you know, either something you're really knowledgeable about or something you're passionate about. Those are kind of the two uh, places to start from uh, because Mm -hmm. people, it's going to, people are, it's going to show through in your product. If you either know a lot about it or you're passionate about it, because Um, if you don't, if you're just, you know, chasing the dollars, not to say there's, there's nothing wrong. There's something wrong with that. I mean, there's definitely products where I'm not super passionate about it, but I was like, Hey, there's an opportunity there. But, um, you know, I always try to start from the place of, you know, what am I passionate about and, um, you know, or knowledgeable about, um, cause that's really going to show through to, to the, to the end customer. 
Absolutely. And, and, and I see so many people trying to sell products like uh, fidget spinners. That was like a big one. Obviously, you know, we all know how that tanked and everything, but people didn't even understand the product and they didn't, under, they didn't get it. And they were selling a product they didn't understand. And, and that's just, I, I don't see how you can be successful doing that. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, that's a definitely like a, if you're chasing a product for the money, it's going to, it's probably going to be a short-term play. Like I said, nothing wrong with that. We do, we, we definitely do that, but uh, you know, definitely the products that you're passionate about are going to be the ones that stick around and that, you know, that, that drive your brand. Well, I mean, and ultimately my goal is I want to build some of my brands big enough to sell them off and then retire. And then I'm done with all this. I, I, I'm 32 years old. I think I'm, I'm getting ready to retire. I just, you know, I want to watch judge Judy every day in jeopardy every day that's my goal you know in your in your in your underwear eating a cheese covered popcorn correct with my house full of cats okay <laughs> like that's my life goal but the thing is is that you know and i have brands that i'm working on that are in the grocery category where i'm doing co-packing and stuff like that i'm not passionate a lot of this stuff people are like oh do you like that stuff i'm like i i've never even eaten it uh but people will buy it so i don't care and that's all data driven and everything but when we're talking about like card games and fun party games, I love that. I'm also working on a, a card game with a friend of mine that's a tr I love true crime. So we're working on a true crime card game together. I love conspiracy theories. There's an idea for a conspiracy theory card game, stuff like that. And I, and I actually enjoy that stuff and I'm passionate about it. So, so that's why it's actually enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, what's it's, the point of doing something if you don't like it? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's funny that you said that you were, you were doing game testing while drunk. I remember a few years ago, actually, when Amy was visiting uh, here, we were, I was telling her about it, but we lost it. Like we spent all this time uh, making this game, uh, this party game. And we, we did a, 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 you know, a, a live test with it and it was extremely funny and fun. Uh, but we didn't execute on it right away. And we, you know, we put it in some cabinet somewhere and now we're about to move and it's now disappeared. So now uh, my wife and I are like, Where, what do we do with that prototype? Because it would definitely be one of those things uh, that would be a lot of fun, I think, as well. Um, so going back to, um, you know, uh, you know, getting products and things like that. I know that at one point uh, you were just, you, you were going gangbusters, um, expanding your business. Um, I think it was... Uh, between your RA and your PL that you needed uh, warehouse space. So you scaled really quickly. And, and uh, from what I remember, you have some like massive warehouse space now. How did that happen and how did you fall into that? And, and, and how is it working now? <laughs> well, so I'm actually sitting in what was, well, when I, when I started my Amazon business, I was actually living at my mom's house at the time. So I was like in the upstairs of her house in a bedroom that's not, wasn't being used. So every, every item had to go up a flight of steps and down a flight of steps. It was awful. Um, so then I got my house and I moved in here and I'm actually sitting in my old prep room, which is about eight by 12. Uh, did not work very well. Uh, that's a, and still had to go up a half a flight of steps. So then I got a warehouse that was about uh, 1200 square feet. Um, and it was pretty good, except the landlord was awful and it was just, it was the guy's a slumlord. I'll just put it like that. Um, and I was paying two fifty a month for it for uh, twelve hundred square feet, um, which wow. that's the Central Pennsylvania special. Yeah, I was uh, gonna say I, I'd like that deal. Yes. So um, I actually reached out. You know, going back to helping people out, um, the guy that I rent my house from is also the guy that owns my warehouse, and this is a uh, two floor, two hundred thousand square foot per floor main warehouse space we have racked for 25,000 pallets 
should give you an idea of how big it is. We have a golf cart to go to the bathroom. That's how big this is. Um, so we, um, I made them an offer. I, I, I do, I would like to not say what I pay in rent, but I do pay rent there. I do actually pay rent, but I offered him, you know, he can't afford to have somebody there every day. So like he was telling me he had, uh, we have an elevator, like a, a service elevator, like a 20,000 pound elevator. And there was a leak in the roof and it damaged the hydraulics in the elevator. It was like $40,000 to fix. If he would have had somebody in there, we would have seen the leak and said, hey, dude, there's a leak. We need it fixed. And it would have saved him a lot of money, especially in the wintertime, pipes burst. I mean, this, this place has like a steam, pressurized steam heating system and bus bars and 720 volt electricity and every Like, if you know warehouses, you get what, what I'm talking about. And, um, you know, he needs somebody that's there to do, you know, every day we do a quick check around the warehouse every day, you know, we make sure there's no leaks, not, nobody's broken in, you know, it's all very secure. Actually, it used to be a military contractor. So, I mean, it's extremely secure, uh, barbed wire fences, double barbed wire fences, uh, just don't lose the key. You'll never get in. It's kind of the rule. So, um, so, you know, and again, that goes back to, I'm helping somebody solve a problem. And he's helping me solve a problem. We both have a very symbiotic relationship on this warehouse. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, let's let's uh, get into the 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 meat and bones. What I what I'm really excited about talking about is uh, Kickstarter. So you said that you know you, you've got some uh, you've done some Kickstarter in the past, but you also have some stuff planned. Uh, take me through kind of the the process on. Um, you know, maybe what kind of products work well on Kickstarter. Um, you know, what you do maybe like. Uh, six months prior to launch, three months prior to launch. In other words, like maybe a little bit of timeline and kind of steps that you're taking yeah. uh, leading up to that launch, um, I think might be helpful for people to, to well, kind of... Do, do you want to explain the platform? Because I don't know if everybody knows what Kickstarter is. Uh, yeah, you probably would be, be better at me. I know generally okay. what it is, but so, I've never launched anything on Kickstarter. So you'll... Okay, so so I guess I'm the expert with you. You are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Um, so Kickstarter, if you're not familiar, it's a platform where basically... It's for new ideas. That's the very important thing. A lot of people, um, they've heard me talk about Kickstarter and are like, oh, I want to sell garlic presses on Amazon. How do I do a Kickstarter? I'm like, you don't. Um, it's just not for that. It's not for the AliExpress to Amazon product, the Alibaba to Amazon product. It's for unique products, okay? Now, they're pretty liberal on what unique and that kind of stuff is, but it should be a unique product. Um, so the way it works is people pledge beforehand to buy the product. They give you the money beforehand and then you get paid before you have to deliver the product. So where this really, and I can give you real world numbers on this, I am getting some pricing on my card game, my party card game. So my party card game is going to have 300 cards, a box that comes apart and an instruction packet. Okay. It's going to be, it's actually going to be in black and white, but the printing, the price for color and black and white was the same. So it doesn't matter because uh, it's not photographic quality. Um, that would be a little bit more expensive. And I'm getting literally the best cards you can get. They're waterproof UV plastic cards. So like if you've ever played Cards Against Humanity, they got that texture. That's what I'm getting. So if I go and I order 500 of them, it's $13 a box. Okay. For 500. So that comes out to $15,000. If I order 5,000 of them, it's $4 a unit. So it's $20,000 and I get 
5,000 of them. So the thing is, is do I want to sink 20 grand into a maybe? And that's a lot of money to do an untested card game and send it to Amazon. Okay. Um, so that's where Kickstarter comes in. I can get people to pledge to buy it and then I'm able to order it either in any quantity, you know, like some stuff, there's always going to be minimums or in a much better quality. So I'm able to offer this card game. My price point that I want to hit is $19.99 on Amazon eventually. So I'm probably going to do it like 15 bucks on Kickstarter with free shipping. And, you know, you guys can see kind of how the math will work out on it. And a $20,000 um, kind of uh, goal. So that's the other thing about Kickstarter. You have to set a goal. So the Kickstarter I did was for a jewelry product. My goal was $1,000. If I don't hit that goal, I don't have to fulfill the orders. I also don't get any money. So that's kind of like the thing. I mean, if you're, if you come up with this crazy expensive idea, you don't have to fulfill it unless you are able to fund it. So it's actually really nice for crazy PL ideas. Um, so some of the drawbacks of the platform, well, so that's the advantages of it. Like you don't have to buy it beforehand, just like, you know, you would Amazon. And especially, you know, a lot of people don't realize, like, I, I so many people when I'm talking to PL people, and maybe Amy can talk about this uh, more, you guys have experiences, they send in the, or, the units, they get success, and then they run out. And they're like, well, what do I do now? And with Kickstarter, you can be less likely to run into that. So, like, if I do a goal of $30,000, I should be able to roughly order enough, uh, like I should be able to send like 2000 in Amazon of this card game and my turnaround time on, it's only like four weeks. I'm not importing this from China. I'm getting it printed in the States. So it works out very well for me. And that's kind of the beauty of Kickstarter. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. And, and what a lot of people don't realize is, is that, you know, people are funding your idea up front. So there's very minimal risk. The only kind of investment you need to make is your time and promotion. You know, some yeah. people doing Kickstarter from what I've seen, you know, like some bigger companies and things like that will, you know, do like $5,000 Facebook ad campaigns and all this that's stuff, right. which, you know, if you know what you're doing is probably not a bad idea, but um, you also have to know your product and know if it's something that's going to play well on social media or not. Um, but um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 I was just going to say, but, but on that same note, so, so Chris, yeah, if you can kind of step us through, um, you know, what you think makes a good product for, um, for, for Kickstarter or uh, have you ever tried Indiegogo? And, and from what I've heard, Indiegogo will also let you keep money. Like you can set like two different kind of goals. One's like, I want to keep the money and produce it no matter what. Or if I don't hit the goal, then you get the money back. From what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong there, Chris. Um. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.